Amen. All right, so our, our vision as a church is that you become like Jesus. Uh, that is rooted in the New Testament time and time and time again. Paul writes, Jesus says that, that, that we are to be like him, that when we are fully trained, uh, we're going to become just, just like him. And, and here's the thing about that. Last year we looked at the characteristics of Jesus. We looked at, looked at all the things that make up this perfect man who stepped out of heaven and came to earth. We, we, we look at him and we look at his characteristics and we're like, all right, that's, that's what we need to be striving for. But, but, but this year, we're, we're kind of taking that a little bit one step further as we continue to look at his actions. we got to look at the big picture because Jesus is the ultimate here I am, send me. Uh, he, he is, he's the ultimate that says, I'm going to put my yes on the table, and I'm going to step out of the splendor and the glory that is in heaven, and I'm going to step down, and I'm going to go to the people that I love, and I am going to die for their sins. That church is the ultimate yes on the table. And at some point in time, God the Father looked at God the Son, and he said, here I am, send me. And that's our message. That's, that's how we're starting out this year, that, 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 that we embrace this, this willingness to say, all right, Lord, whatever faith step you're asking me to take, here it is. I'm, I'm going to do it. And so we started with Isaiah. And, and he's doing his thing, and you can go back and you can listen to that message, but, but he, he says, here I am, send me. He didn't say if it fits into my schedule. He didn't say if it works into the things that I'm doing. He's like, well, I'll only do it as long as I remain comfortable. He just said, all right, God, here I am. Use me. Send me. <coughs> so that's a challenge to us. That's a challenge to the church. Now, here's the question. Where? Here I am, Lord. Send me. Where? As Jesus is about to ascend into heaven. He's got his disciples around. And he's poured three years into them. And he's now given them the great commission as we know it. Go. Go into the world. And as he's Luke's recording of this in Acts chapter 1, it's this. But it's Acts, it's Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's where they're to go. And so church, we've challenged you from the first day of this year for you to be praying for one more. For, for you to find somebody in your world, in your community, in your family tree, somebody that you are going to be praying for. Who is it? Who's your one? Who's the person that you're praying for? Part of putting our yes on the table is I'm going to be diligent in thinking about this person and the spiritual state and the relationship that they do or do not have with Jesus. And so we break this verse down. Jerusalem. That's where he said, go. You're going to be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem. That's not a literal for you and I. 
All right, that doesn't mean we all got to buy airline tickets and head to Israel. Jerusalem is your community. It, it's Hartzell. It's Falkville. It's Decatur. It, it's, it's your neighborhood. It's, it's the people that, that you do extracurricular things with day in, day out. Sorry, Lord, County people that need to leave your house. Jesus is needed out there too. And, and then he says, not just in your community in Jerusalem, but Judea, which is which is this is that I mean, that's our that's our city. That's North Alabama. It, it's it's the Southern Tennessee area. It's the two five six. It's it's this region that 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 we are to be aware of. That that, that we are to be witnesses. Now you work with a guy who travels down from Pulaski, who's not a Christian. That, that's your Judea. Church, it's not about getting them to life bridge. It's about getting people into a relationship with Jesus. That, that's what this praying for one more and being willing to be sent is all about. And he says, Samaria. Well, trust me, we, we all know Samaria. All right? Samaria is those people. You know those people. The Samaritans were dreaded. The Jews despised the Samaritans. And so who is Samaria for us? Well, who do you despise? You know, who are the people that you just wish would go away and never have to be around them ever again? Who are those people? Huh? The people you don't like. That, that's, who, that's who Samaria is. It may be your next door neighbor. Whose dog comes across into your yard and does business and they don't be, I mean, whatever. You name it, maybe your co-worker who plays their music too loud or steals your food from the fridge. What, what, whoever it is, it's the people that are dreaded. Like they're not off the hook. I, I don't get to look at the people that I dread being around, that I gotta see, that I'm gonna encounter this week and say, you know what? Ha <laughs> ha. Not me. Jesus covered all the bases here. And then he says, oh, you're going to be my witnesses. Where? To the ends of the earth. And that's why one of the first things we did when we started LifeBridge is we put an emphasis on going into the world. We, we're not, we, we can't go everywhere, but we're, we're going to go a couple of places and we're going to go there well. And we're going to invest, and we're going to tell people about Jesus. Now, I got a story I'm going to share with you from one of the mission trips. So when he says, here I am, send me. And when I say to you, who's your one more that you're being sent to? All the bases are covered. Neighborhood, workplace, community, your town, people you don't even like. People you don't even know. And then Paul comes on the scene. And Paul raises this ball. I've asked you just to pray. I've asked you just to pray for somebody that does not have a relationship with the Lord. Somebody that is in rebellion right now to God. I've asked you to pray. Paul comes on the scene. He says, oh, I'm going to raise the bar on you a little bit. Romans chapter 9. Verse 2 and 3. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people. 
my Jewish brothers and sisters, that I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Paul's, Paul's attitude toward people that do not have a relationship his Jewish brothers and sisters is that I, I would be willing to give up my relationship if I knew that it would save other people. We won't even invite people to church. We, 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 we won't even invite people to events at church. And Paul's attitude is, Man, I love people so much and people need this so much that, that if it was possible for me to give this up for them, knowing that they would be saved, I would be willing to do it. Is that the fervor in which you're praying for your one more? I mean, is, is, that, is, that, is that the mentality that you are taking with, with, with your one more? That you would be willing to be cut off from Christ? so that they may be saved. Paul has a passion for people. Nothing else matters. <clears throat> so that's why we're spending so much time this year saying to God, here I am, send me. My favorite preacher of old is a great theologian, Charles Spurgeon says every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. Who are you? So there's an emphasis. There's an emphasis on one more, but why? Why? Is it because God needs us? Is that why we do this? I'm going to tell you right now, God don't need us. God does not. God, he wants to use us. And he knows it's best for us, but he does not need us. Is, is this a church growth strategy? You know, I remember back in the day, man, we had friend day. Y'all remember friend day from back in the day? Like, you got this one day of the year that, man, we're going we're gonna to push this thing, and we're going to invite, 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 invite. We're going to do everything we can to invite people to the Sunday morning church, and we'll have a big celebration afterwards. And then next week, we're right back to where we were the week before. This is not a church growth strategy. It's a passion that we need to have. Because church, the number one reason for us to be so concerned about this, about the one mores, and about being sent, is because God is deserving of our praise that comes with our creation. Like, like I was wrestling through this in the month of December, and it's like, like we're going to preach this series on send me. Why? And as I'm getting into it, I'm thinking about it, but the number one reason that we should be so concerned about reaching people who do not have a relationship with God is because God is that deserving of our praise. I, I love what Caleb had to say and what Michelle shared with Caleb. Our very existence, church, our very existence is about one thing and one thing only. And that is glorifying God in our minute-to-minute, -minute, everyday moment of life. 
And we glorify him with our actions, and we glorify him with our praises. There are 8 billion people on this planet. And those 8 billion people, give or take, are broken down into 17,000 people groups. And 7,000 of those people groups, roughly 2.5 billion people, they have no access to the gospel and knowledge of Jesus Christ. 2.5 billion people have no idea who Jesus is. God is deserving of their praise. I'll show you in just a minute. And here's the thing about what I just said. In my American Southern version of religion, I used to think that was a joke. I, I, I used to think that there's no way in, in this day and age with all the resources that the church has and all the influence that America has around the world, there's no way that there are people that do not have access to the gospel. But I have now experienced this twice. I have now experienced this on two different occasions where I have prayed with people who surrendered their life to Jesus and then were baptized who before that day had never heard of the Messiah. One, one guy told me one time it was the, the, the day that he surrendered his life to the Lord was the first day he had ever ridden in a motorized vehicle, seen that many white people in one place, and heard about Jesus Christ, the Savior of his world. He's like, I knew there was something. I knew there was a higher being. I just had no idea who or what it was. And we do this. We make these efforts. And we have to do a better job of this because God is deserving of their praise. Listen to Isaiah chapter 43. It's not coming up here. Just listen. But you are my witnesses. You are my witnesses, says the Lord. You are my servant. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone am God. There is no other God. There never has been. There never will be. I, yes, I am the Lord, and there is no other Savior. From eternity to eternity, I am God. No one can snatch anyone out of my hand. No one can undo what I have done. The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. The people whom I formed for myself, that they may declare my praise. God is deserving of the praise of all people who are created. Because we, church, are created in his image. And so that should be our number one reason for for. for for talking and having gospel-centered converse, gospel conversations is because God is worthy of their praise. Not to mention, they're living in rebellion to God in their eternal state of where they end up 
is hanging in the balance. And so we are spending a lot of time this year talking about this very message of, of being sent. We're talking, we're going through the Old Testament prophets who were messengers, there were voices to people who did not have a relationship with the Lord. We're going to look specifically at Jonah. Where this entire year is about this thing. And so I get this question. I, I received this question from my own family. Because there are people, two and a half billion people who are unreached and who do not have access to the gospel. And I get this question, why spend all the money to go to the <coughs> unreached people groups of the world when there are people right here in the good old USA who are not Christians? I mean, look, I don't know how many people we're going to take on our mission trip, okay, in, in this, this summer, June, July. But we'll probably drop close to 30 grand going for, for everybody to go. And I don't know how many people, so it's going to vary, right? But, but we're going to spend $2,500 per person to, to go. Well, why not spend that money right here? And here's the truth. And I've shared this with my own grandma. In North Alabama, in Central Florida at the time, we don't have unreached people without access to the gospel. We have unsaved people and we have unchurched people, but both of those people groups have access to the gospel. Here in our country, the gospel is out there. It's 100% under attack. It is very well known here. But we still have unsaved people, and we have unchurched people that need to be in a relationship with the Lord. <clears throat> and the truth of the matter is, in our country, those numbers are growing at staggering rates. The unchurched and the unsaved people, that number is growing at a staggering rate, which means either God is not doing His part here in America, or we are not doing our part here in America. 46% of adults are now unchurched. You think about that. I mean, we're lucky enough that we live in the Bible Belt, in the belt buckle of the Bible Belt. There's more, more churches, you know, in Decatur and in a 15-mile radius of Decatur than just about anywhere else in the entire world. Like, I'm serious. Like, we're one of the top places where there are churches. And so there's a lot of church people here, but there's still a lot of unchurched people here. And you don't have to travel too far out of our region where 46% of adults are now unchurched. And, and that's an increase from 35% back in 2005. And here's the sad reality. We know this. We, we interact with people all the time. 62% of the unchurched people consider themselves to be a Christian. I mean, I ain't got time for God. I'll make sure of, you know, Easter, Christmas, I'm a priester, one of those people. And I'm living my life my way, but yeah, I'm a Christian. 62% right now of people who do not have a church home and committed to the church and in the body, they consider themselves to be Christian. 
59% of Americans disconnect from church life either permanently or for a prolonged period of time between the ages of 15 and 29. My number one fear as a father. We've had some serious conversations uh, just a couple hours ago about a certain person in our house and his own drifting who falls in this demographic. 48% of unchurched indicate that they are not connected to church because it provides no relational People are showing up to churches and they're like, I'm not getting anything out of it from a relational standpoint. I don't know. Church, another Charles Spurgeon quote, if Jesus died a thousand deaths, it would be useless if he never heard of them. So we must be willing to go. We must be willing to tell others. We must be maximizing the opportunities like mandate night for men to come to. We, we, we must be using the opportunities that we have to tell others about Jesus. And here's the thing. And I know what you're thinking. I'm going to get to what you're thinking in just a few minutes, but here's the thing. Every person in this room has something to offer to reach the unreached and to reach the lost. Every one of you has something to offer. And so that's why we keep asking, will you just put your yes on the table and, and use what God has given you? And I, I, let me... I'm going to clarify something right now because this was an interesting week. I challenged you last week to put your yes on the table, and, and, and I don't know if I didn't. I probably didn't communicate that well. Okay, you, you guys do a great job of interpreting my gibberish. All right. When, when when I was asking you and challenging you last week to put your yes on the table, that was not a I'm putting my yes on the table, but then I'm making excuses as to why I can't do something. That's not putting your yes on the table. As, 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 you know, I don't have enough vacation time to go on a mission trip. Really? That's not putting your yes on the table. Putting your yes on the table is, man, am I feeling called to, to, to take a mission trip? Then, then you know what? I'm going to pray about it, and then I'm going to go talk to my boss and say, hey, is there anything I can do to get some time off right here? I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, Compound all my vacation days and personal days into this trip. Saying, hey man, I'd love to go, but man, I don't, I, I just, I, I don't have the days off. That's not putting your yes on the table. We, we hope all three of us get to go. That's seven. That's $7,500. And, and, and you know what mentality we can't go? Well, I guess we, we just have to go with you, Michael, because, you know, just send you because that's a lot of money. That's not putting our yes on the table. That's going ahead and making excuses before we even take it to God. 
And that's a completely American Christian thing. We do it all the time. And so church, we're asking you, put your yes on the table. And, and look today at what God has given you. And say, Lord, what I have to offer, I'm giving it to you. Because here's the thing, church. When we offer things back to God, he does incredible things with it. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter, I mean John chapter 6. <clears throat> We're going to read a story of someone who put his yes on the table. Alright, alright Jesus, here it is. You have it. John chapter 6. After this, and I'll explain that in just a second. Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went, because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill, sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy enough bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that? With this huge crowd. Tell everyone to sit down. Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy, grassy slopes. The men alone. Numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves. Gave thanks to God. And distributed them to the people. Afterward he did the same thing with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. And everyone was full. Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. When Jesus saw that they, had, uh, they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. All right. This is here's the cool thing. There's a lot. There's a lot going on here. This this story, this miracle outside of the resurrection, is the only miracle mentioned in all four gospel books. And, and I love this passage for a few reasons. And there's several things that we could teach on this morning from this passage. We could teach on the intentionality of Jesus, right? Like I mean, he he looked at Philip and he tested him. We're gonna be like Jesus, and we're gonna. We're going to disciple the way he did. We've got to be intentional. We've got to, we've got to test those that are, are uh, we're discipling. And he has some questions. Another reason I like this is because, man, this was an emotional day. This was a long day. This, this was one of those days that, man, I just wanted to end so I can go to bed. Jesus had just received the news, this is the after this, about John the Baptist. His cousin, the one, the messenger who came before to prepare the way, he was just executed. 
And, and then there's these people, these needy, 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 needy people. Y'all know them. I'm just looking for a miracle. I'm just looking, looking for something. And, and so this is this is the day that Jesus has. And so it says that he has compassion on them. Compassion is to suffer with. It's not just to have pity on all oh, you poor people. I'm so sorry. Compassion is to suffer with. To identify that you're going through something. And, and I'm going to go through it with you. That, that, that's another thing. That's another mentality that we need to have as we talk about our one horse. That, that we have compassion on them because they're going through stuff. They're going through a life without Jesus. And then third, there's a shift in God's economy and how he meets the needs of people. And if you read through this in Matthew and Mark and Luke, and you, you, you read through the different accounts, you, you know that, that there's a few details in each one. And one of those details in the book of Matthew is that he specifically calls out to his 12 followers. And he says to them, you feed them. I, I know that Jesus feeds them. He's the one that, that, that gets the food, and he's the one that prays over it. He's the one that does the miracle. But you know who distributes the miracle? Not Jesus. His people. His people are the ones that distribute the miracle. And, and so instead of, oh, just bread from manna, there it is. All y'all got to just walk out there and pick it up. You don't see that anymore. You see God starting to use his people to meet the needs of others. And so there's this shift in God's economy about meeting the needs. And now that falls on us. And so we know that there's at least 5,000 men, about. But the text also tells us that there's more. And so let's just say that half these men, they're WBs. They're wife bringers. Not allowed to do that Monday night. Now bring your wife. Let's just say that half these men are their wife bringers. And so we got another 2,500 people showing up. And, and then let's just say that another 2,500 are bringing some kids with them. Very easily, we could say there's 10,000 people in the crowd. That's not a stretch. That, 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 that's not a stretch. Most experts, whoever the experts are, they say there's at least 10,000, probably closer to 15,000. Now, I got an issue with this story. Not, not the divine word of God. Okay. But in reality, and this was a real event, we know that with 10,000 people, there was only one with food. I mean, 10,000 people, and there was only one boy that had something to eat. 10,000 people, and none of those mamas didn't have something in their purses, in their bags, in their handbags, in their clutches, with them, wherever. I mean, y'all y'all feel me right now, right? Look, last week, Amanda and I, we went to see our nephew play basketball over in North Atlanta. 
So we're sitting in the gymnasium, and as the games were going on, we saw the girls play first, and then our nephew played, and as the games were going on, I noticed that my sister-in-law, man, she's feeding people. Like, without getting up and going anywhere. And this is her purse, right? Like, that, like that's the top. Uh, go back to another picture real quick. Um, all right, so let's just start right here. That, this is what I turn around and see. This is her purse. Now, first off, they got some of these Gwinnett County, they got some clear bag policy, you know, everybody's a Toting a gun and all that kind of stuff and wanting to shoot the place up. And so they got clear bags because, and, and there might be one hidden in there when we get down and break this thing down in a second, all right? <laughs> but this is what she shows up with. All right? She, she goes, church, to two basketball games. She passes. And I, this estimation is probably low from Gainesville, Georgia, down to Sugar Hill, Georgia, which is about 15 miles. I mean, she, she passes, I'm going to say, 500 restaurants. All right? She's sitting in a building with concession stands. All you got to do is walk up the steps, take a left, walk out the door, and, and there, there's food readily available. And this is what she shows up to the basketball game with. All right? Some of y'all are like, I don't see a problem with that. Some of y'all are like, that's all she's got? Man, she needs a bigger bag. Right? I, look here. I, I have studied this picture right here. Let me tell you what all I can count. All right? We got some crackers over here at the bottom right. There might be a better, closer up picture. I don't know. Um, there's a third picture. Let's see. All right. Yeah, y'all got me. Now, I mean, we got some crackers over here at the bottom right. All right? We got a, a water bottle right in there. Um, we got some sunglasses. Now, you know, because you never know what you're going to get into. Uh, we got the, the lip balm. All right? And I go to the top view real quick. Um... Let's see what else we got. We got gum. All right, is that more like Mentos? Okay. Uh, there's some gummy worm things. There's another water bottle in the bag. I'm telling you right now, was like some kind of meal. I, I mean, there's 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 like some some sub, some substance in that bag right there. Okay. I don't know exactly what was pulling out, but Red was eating popcorn and he was eating chips, and, and it all came from this bag. All right. Like I mean, he he's sitting there. He is eating this, and and then don't forget the little the little blanket thing. And more water. A jacket. A jacket. It, 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 well, you don't know. It is. Yeah. She wore it. <clears throat> okay, it's a jacket. Okay, she it's a jacket. Uh, now, 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 this is what she takes to a basketball game 20 minutes from her house. In, in an air-conditioned, comfortable car that gets you there and back. Now, let me tell you about my sister-in-law. She's the type of person. She just said, here you go, Jesus. She didn't hand the whole bag. She said, you, you, you do what you need. And, and I'm telling you right now, with, with all that stuff in there, man, she could turn, Jesus would have turned that into a feast. I mean, there would have been a tablecloth, blanket, and all that kind of in there. I mean, like, there's dinner mints. I mean, like, Jesus is going to turn, he's going to turn the contents of this thing right here into a feast. So you mean to tell me 10,000 people, and there's not a mama with some stuff floating around? I, I, I told her life group the other day, a Tuesday night life group. All right, we're going to go through some purses this morning to see what we can do in here. <laughs> Not going to do that. <laughs> All right, but then let's talk about the men. I mean, are there no men within that 5,000 that didn't have some beef jerky or something? I mean, you can't do like, you know, one of these guys be lamb jerky or something like that. I don't know. You mean to tell me no man showed up, left home, went off, and didn't have some kind of something to eat. 
you know, y'all know, I grew up in Arcade, Georgia, just out of Jefferson, Georgia, just out of Athens, Georgia, and it's a grairie community, man. We, everybody farms. There, there's six beer stores in Arcade, and everybody else a farm. Right? <laughs> and, and I'm telling you right now, some of these old farmers, man, they would leave the house in the morning, and they would head to the field, especially during hay cutting season, they would head to the field, and on their tractor, in their little metal toolbox, on their John Deere tractors, I remember this, I saw this with my own eyes. They, they got four things in that little toolbox right there. They, 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 they got some, some different pins for the equipment, some, some hitch pins and some, you know, clevis pins, those types of things. They got, those, they got, they got pins in there that, we, you know, a shear pin, something shears off on the bush hog, we got to, you know, we got to fix it. They, so that means they also got some tools. They got a hammer, you know, not like a claw hammer, but just a ball feed hammer. And then they got some channel locks and, and then there's an adjustable wrench. They also got some duct tape, all right? And you know what else they got? They got some beanie weenies and some Vienna sausages in that toolbox right there. Man, they just out there in the field, they're working, they're doing their thing, and they're not, you know, they're not going to go park the tractor in the shade and get in their truck, and they're not going to drive over to, you know, Bruce's Fine Foods and get some food and then go back. No, no, no. They're going to get to the end of the road that they're working on, and they're going to, you know, put the tractor in neutral, Right? And, and they're going to take the beanie weenies and they're going to put them up there in the engine compartment. They're not going to step down off the tractor. They're going to put the little beanie weenies, I've seen this, up there on the engine compartment and they're going to do one lap right back. And when they get to the end of the road down there, they're going to take the beanie weenies off and they're going to be hot. They're going to have to use the channel locks because they're hot. All right? That's why the channel locks are really there. They're going to use the channel locks and they pop that thing off. And I'm telling you right now, they, they're going to they pour back those beanie weenies right there on the tractor. And then they're going to take Buying sausages. They're going to pop that top. Some of y'all are going there right now. Some of y'all are like, oh yeah, I've been there. Yeah. And they're going to peel that thing back. Y'all probably been on a boat or something, you know, somewhere. We had to work all the time to feed America. That's why we're not fishing. All right, y'all rest y'all fishing. All right, and they're going to take them buying sausages, man. They're going to pop that top and they're going to peel it back. And y'all, y'all know what's on top, man, don't you? Here's some glory right there on top, right? I mean, come on. I mean, there's some, there, there's some, there's some congealed goodness right there. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta turn that can and you gotta suck that top layer off to get the little sausages, right? And then you just, man, you, you you pop those things in your mouth and and, and you 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 go on. Ten thousand people. And you mean to tell me there's not a man or woman that has something? I don't buy it. I don't buy it at all. Now I, I can't speak, you know, and say that it's definitely there because we don't we don't do that, right? But I know human nature, and and, and I know, I, I know that man. If 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 there's a girl, I like I've already asked a couple of you. I know right now that in persons right now there's some food. There's some food to be had. And there's one person that steps up and says, this is what I have to offer. Five little loaves. Don't be thinking grandmas and great-grandmas loaf bread that she made that yeast stuff that we used to eat and smelled so good to smell the house up. Oh, don't be thinking that. We're thinking about little, just little barley loaves. Five little loaves and, and two fish. 
And, and, and we're not talking about the smallmouth, largemouth bass that you get your picture made with and then you lie about, you know, to your friends how big was it? It was this big, it was this big. We're not talking about a bass. We're talking about some little, little sardine type things. And, and, and what they would do is that they would cut the loaves in half and they would just take that little sardine, they'd smatter it up and forth on the bread like this right here to give the little bread some flavor, eat the bread, then eat the sardine. Little small fish. Five little loaves and two fish. Church, this is what putting your yes on the table looks like. Here is everything I have. And in the hands of the young boy, it was enough to feed him for a day. In the hands of Jesus, it was enough to feed 10,000 people with some leftovers. And here's the key. Here's the kicker. You take yourselves too seriously. I take myself too seriously. It's the childlike faith. Because of childlike faith, thousands experience the grace and sovereignty of their Savior to be. So church, I ask you, what do you have to offer? In your hands, it may not seem like much. In your possession, you're, you're thinking, man, what difference will the little I have make? I don't have all the Bible knowledge to, to, to share my faith with other people. We don't need you to share the Bible. We need you to share what God's doing in your life. That's all. We'll get to the Bible and we'll, 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 we'll teach that stuff later. I don't have a whole lot of money. And, and here's the thing. This is the very tactic that Satan uses on us. Now, we start to second-guess what God has given to us with our gifts and our abilities and our resources. And we say, is it, it, I don't have much, so it's really not going to mean a whole lot. And Candy and Edna Siegel, y'all remember this wonderful mother-daughter who used to come here, the salt of the earth. And I'll never forget that during our Bridging the Gap campaign, and this is the campaign that we have where we're going to get debt-free. And I'll, I'll, I'll never forget this. She called me down. Edna's like, hey, can you, can you come down here? I want to talk to me for something. And I would go down to the house. And then she's sitting there. And, and we're sitting in the living room. If y'all been in the house, y'all know, man, being in the living room was, was an adventure. And they were sharing with me in this moment that they could only give a few dollars a month. Just a show of hands. How many of y'all are going to go out to eat after church today? Just us. Mm -hmm. I'll go ahead and tell you right now. You're going to spend more on lunch today than what they could give to the church in a month. You're going to spend more. And Edna told me, she goes, look here, we can only give a couple of dollars above our tithe per month. It's not much. But I know that God will multiply what we have to give to. I 
took that brand with it. I came down here and started telling you people all the time, man, God's going to multiply. you got to keep giving. God's going to multiply. Whatever you give, doesn't matter how much, God's going to multiply. I got that in my head now. All right? And boy, did God multiply. We had no idea what was coming. We're just giving money. And I'm challenging you to give money. And we got about halfway through it. And some Southern Baptist church in another state said, oh, here's $30,000. Who does that? In the hands of Jesus, it is so much more than in your own hands. And so church, I beg you, do not be the people in the crowd. Do not be the people that are either selfish with what God has given you or scared to get out of your comfort zone. And that little boy had a moment there. I got some fish and I got some bread here. You can have it. He didn't know what was coming. He had no idea. Jesus didn't go over and whisper in his ear, hey, buddy, if you give these to him, I want to feed everybody with them. He's testing them left and right. And the little boy just says, here, you can have it. I don't know what comes next. I may not get to eat today. And mama may be mad when I say to her that I gave, you know, the stuff that she gave me to eat to eat to somebody else because mamas are that way. But look what he did with it. So now, the question is, how do I know what I have to offer? Well, that's going to be different for every single one of us. But I can tell you this. It usually is what makes you uncomfortable. It's usually what challenges you. It's usually what requires some sacrifice on your part. Little boy didn't say, all right, Jesus, I'll make a deal with you. I'll keep two of the pieces of bread and one fish. You can have the rest of it. It it required a complete sacrifice. Here's everything that I have. So what is it, church? How do I know what I have to offer? I got a list here. I'm not even going to read it. I'm going to tell you right now, if we're giving out of the comfort, if we factor everything based on just my family and and it interfering with my family's time, and I'm not having to make any sacrifices that I get to serve the kingdom on a leisurely basis, you have more to offer. Here's the truth about the American church. We have more resources and more money than any time period in the history of the church. Linda Ruth McClintock said it took her six days the first time she ever went to Michelle back in the early 80s. We'll be there in two. And that's with a nine-hour layover in Miami. The church has the opportunity and more resources to do more in the world problem is we are holding on to what we have to offer to others in the name of comfort and convenience. Don't be the people in the crowd. So in your life groups, tonight or this week, 
you're going to be asked this question. It's Tuesday night live crew. Didn't you have the luxury of not knowing this question up front? The rest of you do. <coughs> What's a step of faith that God is calling you to take? And will you wrestle with it? What's a step of faith? Maybe you can give more money. Maybe you can enter into discipling relationships where you're discipling the, the, the young men and women of our church who are not being discipled right now. What's a step of faith that God is calling you to take? Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. And gosh, your word is strong. It's convicting in my own life. God, I know I have more to offer. I know, I know that there's more sacrifices, more things that I can, can give to you. And, and, and I pray, God, that I'll wrestle with the conviction of just holding on to it myself. But that I'll trust you with it. So God, let us wrestle out with this. And put it heavy on our hearts. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.